Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. This week, we have a special episode talking to noted Supreme Court lawyer Canon Shanmugam. Kimberly and I talked to him about a whole wide range of issues. Let's go to the interview. Canon Shanmugam is the managing partner of Paul Weiss's Washington office. He's argued 30 cases at the high court, uh, most recently during the court's remote December sitting. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. So, Canon, as Kimberly mentioned, you're just coming off your 30th Supreme Court argument. And most of them you've done in the actual nice court building that uh, fortunate court watchers are familiar with. But recently you've been arguing remotely. Can you just talk a little bit about how that's been going and what your experience has been as opposed to doing it live in person? Well, Jordan, it really feels like I've done two Supreme Court arguments rather than 30 because the format is so different. And I think even for experienced Supreme Court advocates, it's uh, really a new thing. And it's taken some getting used to. Uh, The format is obviously different. I know you've talked about it before on the podcast, but with the justices going one by one, the rhythm of the oral argument is very different. Um, There's much more of an opportunity for the lawyers themselves to talk uninterrupted. If you're the petitioner in a case, you get an uninterrupted opening, you typically get an uninterrupted closing, and you get an uninterrupted rebuttal. And that's very different as well. And the other thing that's just different is doing it over the telephone. Um, There's no real feedback because you can't see the justices, uh, obviously. Uh, The uh, experience is just um, completely different. It's like arguing into a void in many ways. Can you tell us a little bit about how the Supreme Court itself has handled the pandemic? How do you think that, um, you know, the justices have adjusted to, you know, the pandemic? I think the court has handled it about as well as it could have. Uh, Most importantly, the court is continuing to keep the trains running. It's continuing to process cases. It's continuing to hear uh, oral argument. And to the extent that that some have been critical of the oral argument format, uh, I always say that it's better than the alternative, which would be having no oral arguments at all. And uh, the court's docket is a little bit down this term. Um, I think there are probably a number of reasons for that, in part, There are simply uh, fewer cases, I think, in the pipeline because the work of the lower courts has noticeably uh, slowed down. But other than that, uh, the operations of the court seem to uh, be continuing pretty much unabated. And so speaking of this kind of downturn in cases, uh, in addition to arguing a ton of cases yourself now in your new position for, I think, about a year or so now and actually running a business, so to speak, at the same time. Can you talk a little bit about how that's gone during the pandemic, in addition to it just being a new task for you, it being a new task in this strange environment? And so how have you been handling that? Well, no one told me when I signed up as managing partner of our Washington office that I would be managing partner during a global pandemic. I think that was a challenge that none of us uh, expected. And it's been uh, a substantial um, part of my job over the last year, as you might expect, um, both uh, in terms of the amount of time that I've had to spend uh, focusing on it and just from a psychological perspective. And really the major uh, uh, challenge this year was um, shifting the office and the law firm almost overnight to fully remote operations. And uh, that's had an obvious impact on my practice, but it's uh, 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 been a major undertaking for the entire law firm. I wonder, you know, when you're dealing remotely, how do you how do you work with existing clients, and how 
at all do you get new clients um, in this kind of uh, format. So Kimberly, I think the amazing thing has been that um, we've been hired for major new matters without seeing our clients face to face. And that in many ways is I think the most dramatic departure uh, since the start of the pandemic. I've been hired for new matters over Zoom. Uh, I have Supreme Court cases that are ongoing where I've never uh, actually physically seen my clients, and that would have been just unheard of even a year ago. And I think our operations have continued in much the same way. Um, I've tried very hard, both on my own cases and more generally, to continue all of the things that we would have done before the pandemic, but to do them remotely. And so in my own practice, we do all of our team meetings by Zoom. Uh, We have weekly office lunches here at Paul Weiss DC, and we've been doing those uh, by Zoom. And I think we've tried to maintain the ordinary rhythm of legal practice as best we can. So, Cannon, I saw a pretty staggering stat recently. Tell me if this is correct. Is it true that since you've been at Paul Weiss that uh, you filed 11 cert petitions and the court has granted cert in six of them? Is that right? Uh, Yeah, that's correct, Jordan. I don't want to jinx it because uh, it's uh, been a a great run for us in the cert process. And as I I always say, the cert process is hit or miss. And uh, it's just uh, always a long shot to get cert granted. And we've been very fortunate that we've had uh, this run of cert grants over the last couple of years, and particularly this term. Well, to not let you get too high, let me ask you the question that's on everyone's minds, which is, what was wrong with those five cases? <laughs> <laughs> you can't win them all, Jordan. You can't win them all. Uh, and actually, one of the most recent grants um, happened uh, not that long ago. Do you, is this the fifth grant that you've gotten for the term? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We had a cert grant on Friday, and it was certainly one of the more unusual cert grants just in the circumstances of the order, because the order came out very late last uh, Friday. We were um, expecting the possibility of grants on Friday, of course, not knowing whether our case would be uh, one of them. And uh, five o'clock on Friday, came and went. And in fact, it got to be about six o'clock. I happened to be in the office that day because we were doing um, a moot court and I wanted to do it from the the quiet of my office. And I I finally gave up and drove home and I was about um, halfway to our house in suburban Virginia when all of a sudden my phone started buzzing. And sure enough, it was the the order in that case. And of course, that was also the uh, single sheet of paper that contained the order uh, ending Texas's challenge to the election results. Uh, and that was uh, 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 somewhat more uh, newsworthy, perhaps, in our cert <laughs> grant, but we were a lot more interested in the cert grant at our firm. Yeah. And so in terms of that grant, that actually brings up a question I was curious about, and I guess this is kind of a running a practice for you question now, because... So the client in the latest case is Goldman Sachs, right? And you also argued a recent case, for example, representing a criminal defendant in a case about the Armed Career Criminal Act, which I think that's a pro bono case. And so how do you go about balancing these different types of cases? Is it something that you're enjoying having some more control on, maybe even then before in terms of how you divide up these cases? How do you go about dealing with that both as a lawyer and now as a managing partner of a new firm? I think one of the joys of being an appellate lawyer, uh, Jordan, is the variety in subject matter. It's a specialty that I think differs from a lot of other specialties in the law and that it's a specialty in 
a type of practice in a type of court rather than a particular subject area. And so it may be a, a criminal case one day and a securities case the next. And that's frankly one of the things I enjoy about my practice. Um, one of the things that we're very proud of here at Paul Weiss is our commitment to pro bono work. And uh, I've always had a pretty um, significant um, criminal uh, defense practice since I've been in private practice, both for uh, uh, pro bono clients and for uh, paying clients. And it's really how I cut my teeth in Supreme Court practice doing criminal cases when I was in the Solicitor General's office. So it's certainly a type of case I enjoy. But um, but it's always a, a, a challenge balancing multiple cases at once. And we happen to have a pretty busy term at the Supreme Court. And uh, the various cases that we've had granted are in various stages of the process. Um, the good news is that uh, the arguments look like they're going to be spaced out, so I'll have a little bit of a breather between uh, all of the cases. So one thing um, that I was wondering about um, that may be difficult to do in a remote format is mentoring um, young attorneys. Uh, you know, you mentioned you have lunches and you have meetings over Zoom, but how, how do you bring along and develop young attorneys when you can't really be with them face to face? Kimberly, I think that's one of the major challenges during the pandemic for uh, law firms, and I think every law firm is is facing this challenge right now. Um, one of the things that I've tried to do as managing partner of the D.C. office of Paul Weiss is just to have very regular contact with our associates. I've had one-on-one -on -one Zoom calls with um, every single one of the 50 uh, associates we have here in the Washington office. I try to uh, 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 reach out to uh, associates if I haven't been in contact with them for a while just to make sure that they're doing okay. I hold um, Zoom office hours where people in the office can just um, pop in. And on the cases that I'm personally working on, uh, I try to have um, Zoom meetings pretty regularly on each of those cases to kind of replicate what we would be doing if we were in the office. Because the way we typically work is to have pretty regular meetings, um, typically in my office rather than uh, uh, over the phone where we just bat ideas around. And I think that's an important part of the learning process for young attorneys. And so we've been trying to do that virtually uh, as best we can. Canon, tell me another thing that I think I saw you say recently or that I noticed just about as you're building the practice. Is it the case that despite this is a Supreme Court practice, you're not necessarily requiring someone to have been a Supreme Court clerk to work for you in that capacity. Is that right? Well, that's right, Jordan. And I think there's no reason why clerking at the Supreme Court is somehow a prerequisite to work on Supreme Court matters. And uh, the associates I've worked with over the years have clerked at the Supreme Court, have clerked uh, on lower courts, and I don't draw any distinctions on that basis. In fact, uh, I typically don't even think about that when I'm trying to figure out who's going to work on a case uh, with me. Uh, the most important thing is to have people who are um, great researchers, um, great and creative legal thinkers, great writers, and uh, there's no particular uh, 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 credential that someone has to have in order to do that. 
Um, so one question that I've had, we've talked a little bit about the different roles that you have as, you know, um, an individual attorney, as somebody running a practice and an office, um, but you're also a father and a husband. Um, how do you, and this is, um, now I'm asking for personal advice, how do you balance, um, you know, your family requirements, which are probably heftier these, these days, um, with, you know, all the work that you have to do in your professional life? It's been an enormous challenge since March. I'm not going to lie. It's been tough. Uh, my wife is a doctor, and she, by definition, has a much more important job than I do um, during this pandemic. And so uh, it's been uh, a, a balance. Um, we have been um, uh, fortunate in that we have um, uh, some child care help during the day, at least. But we have three boys ranging in age from um, 13 to 3. and particularly with um, most of their uh, school having been remote during this um, time period, uh, it's pretty noisy at home. And so the good news is that we've reopened our offices, and so I can come into the office if I need to do something that requires uh, quiet or where I don't want to have a three-year-old wearing nothing but a diaper running through the back of a Zoom call, <laughs> as has happened on more than one occasion. And, uh, and so that's been nice. But it's, it's tough, and I think it's tough particularly for – our younger lawyers who tend to have younger children, and we've really tried to um, provide as much uh, assistance as we can in that regard. Frankly, I think one of the um, reasons why uh, we have reopened our offices is to allow people whose um, situations at home uh, might be challenging to have somewhere to work. And while we're still actively discouraging people from coming in, certainly when people have arguments or moot courts and the like, it's nice to have somewhere where you can come and, and know that you're not going to have those sorts of interruptions. And so, Ken, and speaking of being in the office, uh, you're, I believe that you're recording this episode from there now. Um, one thing that's different, I think, from when you made your Supreme Court argument most recently is that you're not wearing a headset right now. Um, in a recent SCOTUS blog post, I saw that it was referred to as the Britney Spears look, and I'm wondering how you feel being officially knighted the Britney Spears of the <laughs> Supreme Court bar, at least when it comes to fashionable headwear. I think um, Britney Spears is probably the one who should be offended by that comparison, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I, I guess it's um, I, I guess there are some alternatives that could be worse, but uh, I did wear for my Supreme Court arguments. I did wear a pretty large headset, and it was because it was the one that we thought was um, uh, acoustically the best, and uh, one of the relatively few uh, headsets that actually plugs into our phone system and. Uh, so uh, I don't typically wear a headset except for Supreme Court arguments. So the Britney look is not my typical look. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time out of what is a very busy time for you, I imagine. It, it's a pleasure, Jordan and Kimberly. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. We're going to take a break next week, but we'll be back before the end of 2020 with another special episode. Until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. This is Adam Ellington, and I'm here to announce a new season of Uncommon Law, a narrative podcast series from Bloomberg Law. Black lives matter! Black 
My co-host and I will speak with African-American attorneys and hear their perspectives on how big law is, or in some cases isn't, adapting to become more diverse and inclusive. It's not fair, but what can be better than being on the front lines of helping to make this country better for all of us? If not us, who? If not now, when? Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.